Tired of the negative news and flash over substance? It's time for Today with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and PhD with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamline, news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening and welcome to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick. Well, my co-host Larry Dersham and I have a lot of news to get to tonight um, and a, a wonderful guest for the second half, Eric Metaxas, who you may have heard of. This man has seven New York Times number one best-selling books. So for that reason alone, you're going to want to stick around and hear what he has to say. Um, but we're going to sort of start on a little bit of a, um, an interesting note. I almost said a light note, but at, I suppose that depends on who you speak to. There is um, all of the news, all of the rave coming out of some cafes across several Gulf Arab states because they started selling coffee and other cold drinks in, wait for it, baby bottles this month. Now, let that sink in for a minute. I don't know if anybody's ever tried to drink out of a baby bottle, at least any time recently that you would probably remember what it was like. You might imagine some of the benefits, like if you're driving or if you're in a place where nothing's going to be sloshing out of your glass, but you probably haven't thought of going to a Starbucks or a coffee place and being served a drink in a baby bottle. Now, this was a trend and is a trend that's elicited everything from excitement to confusion to backlash. This fad apparently began, ironically enough, at a place called Einstein Cafe, um, which is a chain that has branches across the region from Dubai to Kuwait. Uh, and instead of ordinary paper cups, the kind you're used to getting or that you would expect to be served in when you go to a cafe, they started serving um, trendy looking bottles in uh, all kinds of different little things on them. And it really just caught fire. And I just thought to myself, Larry, I don't know. Um, I know you you watch your grandkids now and then. Have you ever tried drinking out of a baby bottle? What is that even like? Uh, well, truthfully, I, you asked me that question. <laughs> I have just, I, I, I don't you know, actually touch the bottle, but I, to make sure it's not hot, too hot for the baby, I'll put it on my, my wrist or something. So I guess the answer would be no, but I've, I've come close. <laughs> but I'll tell you, Wendy, uh, if it's coffee, I'm not sure. Like if you buy like a McDonald's coffee, it is so hot. And then I'm thinking yeah. the thickness of a standard baby, baby bottle. I'm not sure if you'd be able to hold it. And uh, Well, here's the first thing I thought of. You know, I know lots of people are purists and they just like black coffee and they don't like a lot of additives. I like cappuccinos and frappuccinos. And I was just thinking, where does the whipped cream go? And what about the froth? Like, do you shove it all in there and then put the top of the bottle in? And, uh, you know, it just doesn't seem to lend itself to the a wide variety of drinks that you might order. But here's another thing, Larry, that um, really uh, has a lot of people upset about this, is they talked about the indiscriminate use of baby bottles being against local culture and traditions. And that's something that we have to think about is, you know, somebody might think, oh, what a great idea. It's novel. It's creative. But at the same time, many of these chains also fail to consider, I'll bet they did now, uh, whether or not there's any sort of cultural traditions or taboos that would uh, prevent that from being wildly accepted and, and widely accepted too, because you know there's even those pockets of the communities, even 
within other countries. And my understanding is that did not go over too well across the region. Yeah, I, I think that there's some, some pushback against that. And especially in this COVID time, if you have a baby bottle and you go for a refill, uh, even in yes. a different store, I could see some pushback against that. They say, no, we, we can't do that. We can't use those cups. So in that sense, uh, probably that's, it's not going to totally work, but it is, a, it's a cool idea, I think. And I'm, and I'm glad to you try mentioned it. that because I didn't want everybody to go out and try it. You know I mean? You know, one of the things that has really characterized last year is trying new things, creativity. We've learned how to do almost everything on Zoom. We've learned how to improvise in, in so many different ways. And there's been creative workarounds to paying for things that we used to use cash for. I don't know whether that's a good or bad thing, but maybe that's a whole other radio segment for you and I. But this idea of bottomless bottles, refilling bottles, you're correct in that that could present some sanitation issues, particularly given the way the bottles are configured. Because unless you have kids, let's face it, you're probably not used to, and I know you have grandkids, so you are used to this, but you're not used to the mechanics of how different that is from just buying a cup of coffee or juice, drinking it, and then disposing in the recycler, hopefully, disposing of the container. Um, but I also understand, Larry, you have been following um, a couple other sort of not so lighthearted stories. I'm the silver lining. I guess let's move to the cloud. What's yeah. on your agenda? Yeah. Uh, before I jump into it really quick, this is a silver lining quote. Oh, good. Check this out. This is by a gentleman by the name of Owen Woodward. One person with commitment accomplishes more than a thousand with an opinion. I thought that was great. But nice. anyhow, I'm going to do uh, social media censorship. And there's an exciting development coming out of Texas. Governor Greg Abbott had announced uh, earlier this month that he's going to support a bill that's currently working its way through the Texas legislature that allows people to sue some of these social media giants like Facebook, like Twitter, if you've been censored by them, if you be if you've been deplatformed by them, like what happened to President Trump after the January 6th incident. And these people can actually take these people to court. Now, it's not a law yet, but it, it's working its way through there. And Abbott uh, jumped on this because uh, last year in, well, actually two years ago in 2019, he sponsored the campus free speech law because this whole thing, this political correctness and this censorship, this group think, at least down in Texas, started on the campuses there. So he that is actually a law now, the campus free speech law. And now they're moving that into the social media realm because, face it, uh, social media is a modern-day public square. That's where we talk about ideas. And if those ideas can be cut back, uh, that's worrisome. But I wanted to mention one other thing before we jump to another topic. Uh, a week after supporting that bill to allow people to sue uh, the social media people for censorship, he supported another effort to put controls on an, a platform called Gab. Now, Gab is a, a great new site that started, and they're kind of like the answer to Facebook and Twitter, where you can basically say everything as long as it's not harmful speech. But he accused Gab of being anti-Semitic. Now, a, a lot of uh, Jewish people chimed in and said, what do you mean anti-Semitic? And so what is worrisome about uh, Governor Abbott, it seems like he's flip-flopping both ways. Uh, even when people say there's no evidence of that, and so it's, it's kind of an interesting time we're living in, Wendy. 
Well, it is, and kind of zooming out from that story. So I suppose we'll we'll encompass a little bit more here. Um, as a practical matter, not all social media platforms are created equally, and that has been painfully apparent over the course of the last year, where everybody's been on social media, and we've seen the uh, our former president Trump kicked off of, of Twitter and other platforms. And by the way, I don't want to ruin it, but he is starting his own, and we'll be talking about that on another segment. But then we have something like Facebook. Facebook is ubiquitous. So people that don't have Twitter accounts, they don't even know what Gab means. They've never been on BitChute and all these other um, these other platforms, Parler, we talk about all these different names, but they're Facebook users and not necessarily because they have the kinds of opinions that are controversial. To the contrary, they use Facebook to keep up with their grandkids and to, to you know share photographs when there's a milestone in their life or when they're they're on a diet and just all of these very wholesome practical down-to-earth reasons people use social media are really i i would say almost you don't want to say everything's been canceled but when you're canceling voices from social media you really have to stop and think well what should be the difference between different platforms sure it's true that people on facebook don't want to hear about politics so why shouldn't then a site like Twitter or another one maybe be the place that we talk about politics? I mean, isn't that kind of what Governor Abbott and others are talking about? Is not that they are objecting to all content, but certain content, which, as you point out, ends up being, unfortunately, viewpoint discrimination. It, it does. And I just worry because like the t- the telephone service uh, doesn't cut you off if they don't like your conversations, not like they're listening in. So that's not yet. Not <laughs> yet. Not yet, Larry. They don't. But here's another aspect of censorship, too. It's, it's interesting. It's kind of a, from a different angle. Facebook and Twitter, they scrub. Now, unfortunately, earlier this week, there's been a horrible shooting in Boulder, Colorado uh, that you you. I think it happened on Monday and already uh, they were trying to link uh, him to Trump and so forth. Well, he was basically an anti-Trump person, this person, his name has been released now. So we know who it is. And uh, if I'm saying it right, Ahmad Al-Isa and uh, he's just accused. Just understand that he's accused. He's not been convicted yet, but they scrubbed that Facebook and Twitter scrubbed any reference of him, uh, so you couldn't even talk about him. So that was kind of an interesting thing. They went back and, and totally deleted all of his tweets, all of his Facebook posts. So you couldn't even figure out who this guy was. And I'm just worried they're trying to pin this uh, horrible, horrible event, this shooting on Trump supporters. And it definitely wasn't. It was the opposite. Well, you know, law enforcement will have that information in order to determine what was the motive, uh, what were the red flags. I mean, threat assessment often takes that stance looking backwards. And it's ironic, Larry, you and I and our listeners, we live in a time where digital footprints are easier to follow than real ones. It is the digital footprint that actually tells us more about someone's motives and thoughts and values and ideology Um, Is there any extremism involved? One of the things that's characterized the way we treat shooters uh, and not just, I mean, however you commit a mass killing, I mean, vehicles have been used sadly more often than not in the last couple of years, but we don't glamorize them anymore. And we don't really talk about the shooter and we don't really, we we honor the victims. And we like to believe that even if it takes a while for a case to, to move to trial, that justice delayed is not justice denied. And 
what we're doing and what we have been doing is really honoring the victim's life rather than, I suppose, one would argue, generating Facebook fascination or social media fascination over who this person was. We do need to know, though, because in the in the vein of Neighborhood Watch and keeping our community safe, you know, those watch programs don't work if nobody's watching. So we look, we listen, we we watch out for each other and our neighbors. Um, but you do raise a, a great point that we learn about issues, values, and people through social media. Yeah. Uh, so, and I and I know that's that's probably something we're going to continue talking about. And another really good point, uh, Wendy, is the Republican Party of Texas has refused to leave Gab, even though Governor Abbott. Uh, suggested that they do. They're sticking with it. They believe down in Texas, it says the First Amendment still shines brightly in the Lone Star State. So good for them. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's great. And uh, as we continue the conversation, we also want to tease our second half because it's true. Everybody talks on social media and that's where we exchange ideas. But we still write books and we still read books. And if you are an author or if you know anybody that's an author, you know that to have any book on the New York Times bestseller list is an enormous accomplishment. Imagine if you had a book that reached number one. Okay, now imagine if you had seven books that reached number one. Stay with us. We're going to take a short break, but don't touch that dial, folks, because when we return, you're going to meet someone who actually has achieved that milestone. You're listening to Today with Dr. Wendy. We are back in a flash. News cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to Headline Highlights live with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Welcome back to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick. Well, it is quite an accomplishment to get one's book on the New York Times bestseller list, let alone achieve the ranking of number one. That is like a dream come true for almost everybody in the world. So to have seven number one bestsellers on the New York Times bestseller list is pretty much unheard of. Larry, I think we're going to have to call the Guinness Book on this one. Right. But we have someone on the line today who has achieved that high mark and so much more. Larry, who is our guest? Yes, Wendy. Eric Metaxas is an American writer, speaker, and conservative radio host. He's the author of seven New York Times number one bestsellers, including Martin Luther, If You Can Keep It, that's the second one, and the third, Bonhoeffer, and the fourth, Miracles, the fifth, Seven Women, and the sixth book, Seven Men, and then the seventh, Amazing Grace, which is the story of William Wilberforce and his heroic efforts to end slavery. He's written more than 30 children's books that have been translated into more than 20 language and his languages. And he's just come out with his own memoir called Fish Out of Water, A Search for the Meaning of Life. He's also the host of the Eric Metaxas radio show, a nationally syndicated radio program heard in more than 120 cities in the United States that offers compelling perspective on American culture, political life, and stories making news around the corner and across the globe. Welcome to the show, Eric. 
Well, I got to tell you, with an introduction like that, I, I don't want to say anything. It can only go downhill from here. Th- thank you for misreading my biography and making me feel like a wealthy, successful man. That's pretty cool. Seriously, I'm so excited to be on, and I want to tell you, um, I just uh, – I, the book that we're talking about, my, my new book, which is really the story of my life up until my 25th birthday, it's, it's a crazy story, but you're reading it so you know – like there's funny, funny, crazy stuff, but it ends up on a serious kind of positive note, just in case anybody's wondering what they're getting into uh, with the discussion. You know, Eric, um, I, there's so much we could talk about with, with respect to you and your accomplishments, but there's somewhat of an eclectic theme to your career as I yes. read through all of the different things that you've done. I mean, you've written for Veggie Tales, Chuck Colson, and the New York Times, which are Three things normally not found in the same sentence, as what some have pointed out. Um, yes. One of the things I found very fascinating, um, and I, I will say that uh, there was a great quote by the Hartford Courant that has said, figuring you out is like trying to stick a pushpin in a cyclone. <laughs> I don't know if you heard that, but I just thought Yeah, that no, great. I have to say, that's, you know, no kidding. That's why I wrote the book that we're talking about. It's because I said, I want to be able to put everything all these different crazy angles of my life in one book. So people can sort of have a sense of how I got to be who I am. And it is nuts. Even when I was writing the book, I was thinking, what a hodgepodge of crazy, different, disparate elements. But that's who I am. That's my, that's my life. And I think that, you know, some of it is, um, as I said, you know, very funny. I mean, some of it is just true stories that are, you couldn't make them up. They're so insane. And some of it is, you know, touching and beautiful because of the love that my family uh, had for, for me and we had for each other. And so it is a hodgepodge, and it's a hodgepodge just in terms of, you know, you get the Greek uh, immigrant background, the working class, growing up in the working class uh, environment of the Greek uh, immigration, uh, the Greek immigrant community, and then going to Yale. And then, you know, it's just a total hodgepodge. And I thought, well, that's who I am, so we're going we're gonna to tell the story. <laughs> and it culminates, i got to say, in the story of my coming to faith. At the end of the book, around my 25th birthday, is where I talk about my really dramatic, um, I shouldn't say just dramatic, miraculous conversion. I I really uh, came to faith in a way that, you know, changed me literally overnight. And that's the culmination of the book. But in order for people to understand that, they kind of have to understand everything leading up to that, which is why it ends up being uh, the story of my life up to that point. That's crazy. Excellent. So you've written so many wonderful books, Eric. You've stated at some point that you believe that America is creeping towards Nazi Germany. What did you mean by that? Well, it's, it's inevitable. I think, you know, nobody would be surprised if they really understood what America is and what we're meant to be. The normal state of affairs for human beings is not freedom on the American model. This is not normal. This is a blessing from God. It's a gift. And it's something that if we don't work vigilantly, uh, in the words of Ben Franklin, you know, to keep the republic, if we don't work to that, toward that end, and if we don't teach our kids and, and, and remind each other of what, a, what an incredibly fragile, beautiful, rare thing it is to have American-style self-government and liberty, then we just take it for granted. And most of us, let's face it, we've taken it for granted. And so slowly it creeps away. And I think what we're seeing now with the government overreach, I mean, the COVID madness to have these loony governors like your, your, your man-child, Gavin Newsom, yes. who acts like he just 
He's barely graduating high school. He does not have a bone of wisdom in his head. And he is the governor, and he's making decisions for millions and millions of people. And I think most Americans, you know, things have pretty much worked out. But when you come to a crisis like we have now, suddenly people wake up and they say, what is this? I got to wear a mask. I got to wear, you know, in other words, the logic, most people have good common sense. And you start seeing that our leaders, whom we have elected theoretically, um, have this kind of power. And I really think that what, what we're seeing uh, in some ways in this country, it's a foretaste of the slide in my Bonhoeffer book. I read about the slide, the Germany slides into, you know, being under the sway of the National Socialists. They didn't know where it was headed. They just knew things are drifting in a not great direction. And I really think that there are many reasons to say that anybody will drift in that direction. We're not special in America, which is why we are drifting in that, uh, that direction. Our ideas are special. Uh, the ideas of what America is supposed to be is exceptional and amazing and beautiful. But if you forget about those ideas and you start living like everybody else, pretty, pretty soon those things will take over. So I, I write about that it, you know, to some extent in my biography of Bonhoeffer. But in my uh, a short book I wrote called If You Can Keep It, The Forgotten Promise of American Liberty, I, I lay out what does it mean to be an American. And part of the reason I feel so strongly about it is because my parents, as I write about in, in both books, in my uh, new book, Fish Out of Water, and, in, and If You Can Keep It, my parents come from the old school, from the old world. They come from a place where they did not have what we have in this country. So they taught me to appreciate it. They taught me to hate communism, to hate big, big government. And I think I picked that up from my mom and dad because they suffered under it. And when people really suffer, like they do in Cuba or wherever, they are not asleep at the wheel. Most Americans were so blessed that we can be asleep at the wheel. And I think we're, I just think we're getting a wake up call right now. People are beginning to wake up. You know, Eric, that was the one thing I was going to ask you about um, as far as the who's had the most influence on you. You know, I noticed that you keep mentioning your family, which was what a blessing that is. I also thought it was great that you share the same birthday with your father. And I wondered how that worked out growing up. I mean, I hope you had two separate cakes at your house. But I yeah, also. See, that's, that's exactly what an American would say, right? Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> that's so funny. I hope you were treated. You were special. You were special. Of course, Listen. Uh, just the fact that we had a cake, just the fact that I had a father, let's start there. A lot of people Amen. don't have a father who loves them, and they don't have any cake, and they don't have any. I was so blessed that uh, whether we had one cake or two, believe me, and I don't even remember, so I'm just I'm assuming uh, that I got my own cake. But let me tell you. The fact you, uh, that you don't remember is a testament to that your priorities have always been in the right place. But I, I, have I don't know about that. You. I just think I got too much going on, and I wish I remembered. But the fact is that. If you're going to be so selfish and go, I want my my own cake. Hey, <laughs> your father paid for both cakes, so shut up and eat the cake. <laughs> right. Yeah. I have to ask you this. We're almost at the end of the show, but we note that not only do you have your own radio show, but it is syndicated. It's wildly popular. We have just talked to No End. Larry and I were so thrilled to have you on today. We were wondering, given the the host of colorful personalities you know you no doubt have had on your show, who is the most interesting person you have interviewed? Oh, my gosh. There <laughs> is no is answer to that question. I, I've had on Mike Lindell, who, who takes the cake and, and then some, speaking of cakes. Uh, you guys are making he, me he hungry. He has a story that you can't make up. But I've had a lot of people in my program that have stunning personal stories, like mind-blowing stories of going through hell and back. And those are usually my favorites. Uh, we've had a lot of miracle stories on my program. If you go to the YouTube channel and you go backwards, you know, maybe about a year or so, you'll find tons 
of of stories that we've had of people uh, that that have have really been to he- through hell and come back usually with God's help. And those are my favorite stories. But I've had all kinds of celebrities. I had Morgan Freeman on. I've had I even had the president on for a few minutes uh, back in I think it was uh, December. And I've I've had I've had the gamut. But if people just go to my YouTube channel, um, we got knocked off of YouTube for two weeks because I had the the temerity to speak about the uh, election. And they don't on YouTube they don't like to do that. See, they don't know that we're not in a communist country, and they they're trying to they're behaving as though we are in a communist country. They can tell us what to say. So I uh, I keep saying what I want to say, and if we can't post it on YouTube, we post it on Rumble. And I have a uh, mailing list where I send out emails. If people go to my website, ericmetaxas.com, and sign up, the newsletters, I send out every show uh, that we have. I send it out so people don't have to go hunting for it. But I just tell you that I want to want to say congratulations to you on your show. And I feel, you know, I'm honored that I get to do what I do sometimes it's hard, but I know that it's a, it's a gift, and I and I'm I'm just I'm just grateful I get to do it and talk to so many different kinds of people. I mean, I've talked to celebrities from, you know, Rich Little and people from, from when I was a kid that I just admired like crazy. I've had some of them on the program, so just a, a huge uh, a huge mix of of people. You know, I've had senators and scientists and anybody that I think is going to be interesting. Let's put it that way. Hey, Eric, I think you're the American version of C.S. Lewis. I don't know if anybody's ever said that, but you're an intellectual, <laughs> you're a Christian. That I punched him, so thank you oh, no. in San Diego. And thank I'm goodness. <laughs> Nobody could ever live up yeah. to that. C.S. Lewis is such a giant, so the, the <laughs> fact that some people could be fooled along those lines, I feel like I'm doing my work. Thank you very much. Well, we want to thank you so much for joining us. It has been such lively, interesting conversation, and best of luck on your next book. I cannot, ra- I cannot wait to read it, and I hope you have, like, gold. I don't know how you display seven number one bestsellers, I but I, I, I hope you have. And you know what? You, you are the kind of person that allows others to sing your praises because you temper that intellect with a healthy dose of humility. Thank you for joining <laughs> us, my friend. God bless you. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. God bless you. And thank you to our listeners. We are wanting to wish you a happy, wonderful, safe weekend. Please join us next week for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Headlines with a silver lining. Have a great week. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for Live with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Live with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego.